This morning we're going to begin a new series uh, talking about Eternity Matters. We've been doing a series on um, the, what was that series we've done? My mind just went. Uh, new be- thank you, thank you. New beginnings, and the new beginnings part is, is not just starting something new, but it's becoming a new person as we discover who we are in God. It's understanding that there is a God and proclaiming Him and living for Him each and every day of our lives and not just for an hour on Sunday morning or two if we went to life groups. It's also acknowledging that God is the God that created all that is. And to acknowledge Him means that we're to not only to worship Him, but to at least welcome Him in the room. And say, we acknowledge your presence. We appreciate your creation. We're responsible with it. And we want you to know we love you. We also talked about how that being a new person means that maybe we need to look at things in new ways. Not in the ways that we think, but in the ways that God thinks. How we're to approach situations and circumstances. Not with our own wisdom, in our own understanding, but with God's. We talked about how we get that. We get that through spiritual disciplines and reading the Word of God, through prayer, supplication, each other, as God speaks to each other and challenges each other in our walk, in our daily walk, with uh, things that God has revealed to them. Sharing books, sharing statements, sharing experiences, these things help us to become new people in Christ as we transform ourselves or God, let God transform us more and more into His image. We talked a little bit about how that we need to never lose hope, even when hopeless, hopelessness seems to crowd in and abound. That hope is always present, that Jesus is our hope, and He's our ever-present help in the time of need, and how we're to call upon the name of the Lord, even in our despair. But most importantly, we're to acknowledge God, even in our victories. Because as Eric just shared with us, the victory has already been won in our lives. But we're so concentrated on the battle that we tend to forget that we can have peace in the midst of it because the victory has already been won because of what Jesus did on the cross. We become a new person when we realize victory is not only obtainable, it is already attained. And we can walk in that victory. And we can have peace in the midst of the storm. The peace that surpasses all understanding because everybody is focused on the battle. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about eternity. Because as C.S. Lewis once said, everything that we're taught from the childhood since we're born till we leave this planet seems to be is the tools, the gifts, and the graces that we need to survive in this present age. And yet, we know scripturally that eternity lasts a lot longer. Matter of fact, scripture says that a day In heaven, or a day in eternity, is like a thousand years here on earth. You know, the average age 
Here, the mortality rate, I think, is 78 years old for the average. 78. So that means we have, and it's gone up, by the way. It used to be about 70. And 70, is, by Scripture, is considered a full life. And so if you, um, if you live to 70, say 78 is the average, just think how short a period of time that is and the weight of things and the scope of things for all eternity. It's just a minute millisecond. But yet we live our lives totally focused on what we have now in the present, what we're dealing with. And it is important. Here's why it's important. It's important to fact because this millisecond, you make the decision. In this millisecond, you make the choice of how you will spend eternity. That's pretty daunting, don't you think? It's pretty significant. You know, we, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up and have bad days. Anybody ever have a bad day? I had one just the other day. I only have a few, but I had one the other day. I woke up a little grumpy, a little grouchy, and uh, just wasn't having a good day. And at the end of the day, we were going out somewhere, and it's supposed to have been a fun day. And she said, now you've been grumpy all day. Are you going to have fun tonight? I said, yeah. It's going to be a great evening. She goes, you don't look like it. She says, smile. I go, Because how many of you know that it's hard to be in a bad mood when you smile? I mean, smile and try to be mad. It's just very difficult. So here's my psychology major, my wife. She's going, smile. Smile. That's not smiling. Smile. And by the time she said that about three or four times, I smiled. And things were better. And she said, and this was very profound to me, she said, isn't it amazing how just a few seconds of doing something right can transform a whole day? She's pretty smart. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes just a few seconds of doing something right can transform a whole day. That's kind of like eternal matters. But a few things that we do in this short period of time we call life changes all eternity if we'll choose to do it. But I don't know about you, but I need people to help me smile. Don't you? To keep eternity in a proper, proportionate viewpoint. What does eternity mean to us? And how do we understand eternity according to Scripture? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we put it on the board this morning, it says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Get that? He set what in the human heart? He set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, Ecclesiastes, in this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's a famous scripture that we use at a lot of uh, funerals, for it talks about a time for everything, a time to cry, a time to be sober, a time to reap, a time to plant, a time to be sad, a time for joy. There's a time, a season for all things. And it says here that he has made everything beautiful in its what? 
and it's time. So what does eternity and time have to do with each other? Well, here in the present, time exists, and everything makes beautiful in its time, but in eternity, there is no time, because eternity lasts forever. And he's done what? He's also set eternity in the human heart. He set eternity in the human heart, but yet no man can fathom. It can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Why is that? And I'm going to give you a, a, a great answer for that. Because when he explained to me, it helped me understand a lot of things about the composition of God and, 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 how we're, and how we can relate to godly things. It says this, God is eternal. God has no beginning and he has no end. He exists, okay? But we are everlasting. You know what everlasting means? We were created. We had a born-on date. Wasn't there a beard that came out once sometime that had a born-on date on it? They got that from Scripture, I guess. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, we had a born-on date. I was born May the 10th, 1960. It's when I was, came into this world, okay? And I made my entrance. Now, when I make my exit, I don't know. It may be tomorrow. It may be a few years from now. It's according to who you are and where you sit, what time frame you're looking at, okay? And you're looking for so the fact of the matter is we all have a born on date, but as soon as we're born, we have a short span that we get to do something that's right that will affect us for all eternity. In other words, when we die, we take on a new body, we take on a, a different existence and we go to heaven or their other place. Anybody know what that other place is? Hell, what we don't like to talk about in the church because that's an ugly word, you know. But we use it in our language all the time, don't we? To emphasize something, we use it, you know, all the time in vernacular that doesn't aptly describe the horribleness of it. And we don't like to talk about it when in church because we want to talk about love and grace and mercy and, and all the good things about it. But the fact of the matter is, in eternity, there's two options, either heaven or hell. And in this short moment of time, just like my wife says, it's amazing how that little bit of time can affect the whole day, change the whole perspective. And our little bitty millisecond of a time called life chooses for us and helps identify for us where we're going to spend our everlasting life. Because we were created and we will die and be re resurrected and live for all eternity either in heaven or in hell. But it says, we go back to that verse in, in, in chapter 3 uh, there. It says, yet no man can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know why we can't fathom that? Because we're everlasting beings. We're not eternal beings. God is an eternal being. And he goes way back. Our mind can't comprehend the things of God because we can't comprehend no beginning. Why? Because we had a beginning. We're everlasting beings, not eternal beings. But God has placed eternity, what? In the heart of man. The eternal portion is put in the heart. We desire the eternalness of God. We desire, because he's placed it in our hearts, we desire eternity to be a reality. We innately understand for some reason, some way, that this life 
It's just a vapor. Scripture says it's a vapor. It's here today, but it quickly vanishes away. Some lives are shorter than others, but it's all important. See, eternity matters, and we treat like it doesn't. We live our lives each day in the moment, in the existence of today, with no thought about eternity, but eternal things matters. It matters a lot. It should shape us. It should guide us. Why? Because we have the eternity in our hearts. We have it in our hearts. We know it's there. But we cannot grasp the magnitude. We cannot grasp and understand the eternal things completely because we are not everlasting. I mean, we're not eternal. We're just everlasting. God has something to do with eternity. He challenges all with, with the eternal life because on our own, we could not choose. We could not adapt. We could not perform in a way that we could be righteous with God. So God had a plan. We find this in John three sixteen. Anybody familiar with that scripture? We put it on the board just in case you weren't. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Hmm. Have eternal life. How are we living our lives? Really, how are we living our lives? Are we living our lives in a temporal existence? trying to achieve just the temporary achievement? Is our crowning glory going to be some building that's made out of tin or brick or mortar that's going to rust down? Oh, by the way, the durability of these buildings are about 75 years. Now, if you build a block and mortar and stuff, you can up that a little bit, and you get maybe 100 years, 125. That's construction durability ratios, okay? So that means that a lot of these buildings will outlast us, but they're not eternal. They're not eternal. They have a planned purpose for a planned time that we can sow seeds in a life that will transform people's lives for eternal matters. Everything that we do here has an eternal consequence. Did you know that? Everything that we do here has an eternal consequence. Scripture says that we should not be laying our treasures up here on earth where rust and moth destroy and decay, but store your treasures up in where? Heaven. That we may have it for all eternity. Uh, There's a saying that says when you die, there was a fellow one time, a very wealthy fellow, and when he died, he had uh, the funeral home arranged for everybody to come get his U-Haul, get a U-Haul and carry it to his resident and take some of the most valuable things that he owned and carry it out to the graveyard. And they built a big grave and they buried all his possessions with him. Now, you, you know, we laugh at that today, but you know, that was very like the Egyptians in the old days when they built these pyramids. They built the pyramids and they mummified. Matter of fact, they would put maps to the afterworld in these mummification uh, circumferences, whatever they're called. Whatever? 
Colphicus, yeah. They put them in there so they would have directions when they revived. They would have directions to the afterlife. And they would put all their valuables and their jewels and stuff like that. That's why tomb raiders get wealthy and rich because all these riches are stored up. So this is not new to man. This has been ever since man has existed. They have embraced the eternal aspect of the afterlife. Again, what did God say in Ecclesiastes? He's placed it in our hearts, the eternal aspect, right? It's been from the very beginning of man, okay? So we understand that this is true, even outside of Scripture, that people has this mentality. They understand this because it's, it's in the heart of men. The question is, how are we doing about living our lives with eternal matters in play? Are we considering that? Are, is that some of the aspects and some of the things that are, is making our decisions and, and how we make our decisions and, and, and how we choose to live our lives? See, I believe that a lot of us lose sight of eternity and lose sight of the treasures that we should be storing up and, and lose sight of the call in which we're called to live our lives for eternal matters. We get caught up in so much in the world. Our regiments of how we're judged and how we're measured and our value system and everything is dictated by the world and not eternity, not God, not spiritual not Christian ethics or anything like that. It's, it's the world that seems to have the gauge of this. There was a great saying that's sometimes said, and, and I quoted this earlier, C.S. Lewis says that everything that we have in life, everything that we have in life is gauged by the consequence or the value system or the read system, measuring system of the world. And this momentary process and yet we as Christians are called to think about eternal matters and think about things that help us be contributors to not only in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. There was a great swimmer. Her name was Florence Chadwick. Anybody heard, heard of Florence Chadwick? 1952, she set out to make another tremendous uh, achievement. See, earlier she, changed, she swam the English Channel. She's a great swimmer. In 1952, she went to the Catalina Islands, and there she wanted to swim from the Catalina Islands off uh, the Pacific coast there and swim all the way over to the California coast. And she went, and her uh, entourage went with her, the boats that sailed beside her to make sure she wouldn't, if she got fatigued or in trouble, she wouldn't drown. <clears throat> they were accompanying her, and her mother accompanied her as well. And she got in, it was a very overcast day, and storms were kind of coming up, but she decided this was her day to go, and there was a lot of coverage and a lot of things that were riding on it, so she decided to go on and press in. So she got in the water, and she began swimming. Clouds started rolling in. It never really thunderstormed or anything like that, but a lot of fog, and it was just, uh, just she couldn't hardly see the boats that were surrounding her, but she kept swimming and kept swimming. But she heard her mother's voice, and her mother's voice kept encouraging her, go on, you're just about there, keep going, keep going, you can do this. And, and soon uh, she kept going, pressing through the pain and, and, and going through and going through, but the clouds and the, were so thick she couldn't see anything. She couldn't even see the rescue boats with her. And her mom's voice was still there, and she kept pressing in and kept pressing in. But finally, she got to the point that her mom's boat got separated by some waves or things like that, and she couldn't hear her mom's voice. 
And finally, after total exhaustion, she just gave up and they pulled her in the boat only to discover that she was a half mile from the shore. A half mile from the shore. And they asked her, how do you feel about that? And she goes, I believe if I could have only seen the shore, I would have made it. But I couldn't see the shore. And I couldn't hear the voice of my mom. And the present circumstance engulfed me. And I gave up. And I thought about that. I thought about that and I realized, you know, uh, we Christians, we... And the church is, do we talk about heaven really as much as we should? Do, do we talk about the goal really as much as we should? Because I think we're letting the clouds of life, I think we're letting the storms of life, I think we're letting all the confusion of life surround us so much that we're losing sight of the goal, we're losing sight of the shore, we're losing sight of what really counts and what really matters. And we, sent, we tend or we seem to give up. We tend to give up. This series, hopefully, in the next four weeks, will try to encourage you about, number one, what is really heaven all about? Number two, is heaven really worth it? Is it worth it? And three, are we being faithful and focusing on the goal the high mark of the call of Jesus Christ, or we're too crowded, surrounded, in defeat, neglect, and rejection in this world and what this world wants to tell us instead of pressing toward and pressing in and leaning in and finding victory. We're going to talk about that in the next four weeks. I want to encourage you to come, invite your friends maybe. We've got plenty of space to socially space <laughs> and, and be safe. We've got plenty of space to do that. But I want us to unpack that a little bit and how that affects us. I think eternity matters. I really do. What about you? And if eternity really matters, what does Scripture say about heaven? There's a systematic theological book that I studied when I was in school. I went, I kind of thumbed through that the other day. And then I read this book uh, by Andy Rourke. And it, he talks about, his, his name is Andy, I forgot his last name, but I think it's Rourke. But he, he talks about heaven in this book. And he talks about his systematic theology uh, book as well and his professor uh, that wrote this book. And he said, of that book, and I noticed the same percentage of mine, that on eternal matters, we've spent, there's about 37 pages that was talking about eternity. And then there was 87 pages that referenced hell. And there was one page that represented heaven. His point, and I started looking through mine, same kind of thing. His point is, we spend a lot of time talking about the place we don't want to go and very, very, very small amount about the wonderful place that we are going. In the next few weeks, I want to talk a little bit about my home. There's a song that Squire Parsons sang. It's called, Some People Call It Heaven, But I Call It Home. In the next four weeks, I want to talk about 
for us as believers, our home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time this morning. I pray, Lord, as we live our lives that we'll always keep our minds on home. We'll always live our lives in the reflection of what that home means, what that home has instilled in our hearts, and what that home represents in our lives. That we won't just call it heaven, but it is our home. We pray this now in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And everyone said, Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.